Hello, this is famed director, documentarian, and true recipe enthusiast, Werner Herzog. I present to you an account of vain madness perched at the precipice of artistry and folly. In the waning daylight hours of March 4th, as the sun began to make its egress toward the oblivion of space, catastrophe struck the carnivorous couch studios. With its denizens preoccupied with the goings on of the day and the heavy fog of their own cultural malaise, a Butterfinger rapper was permitted to make passionate love to a glue gun. In the hot post-coital aftermath of their whispered congress, flames began to form around them in ever-increasing concentric circles. Within minutes, the studio began to blaze with carpets of white-hot flame. Being the only one there to observe the conflagration, I could not help but draw parallels to the execution of Joan of Arc and the sacking of the Great Book Depository at Alexandria. Within a half an hour, after I had managed to plunder their icebox for a six-pack of Lagunitas IPA and two slices of turkey, the studio had been reduced to a carpeting of ash. Only now have the proprietors begun to rebuild, naive to the urgings of a universe that clearly wishes them to desist in their pitiful endeavor. It is to this pitiful, misguided phoenix that we now direct our own personal eye cameras. Entranced by the gleam of their insatiable madness and hungry to see the flames rise once more, we now present to you, covered in the lacquer of afterbirth, a new reinvigorated carnivorous couch. Maddie, Maddie, rant, rant. Maddie, Maddie, rant, rant. Should I start? Mm-hmm. Okay. So, I really like this movie, but it's always struck me as very strange that um, on the soundtrack, it has the song New Amsterdam by Elvis Costello from the album Get Happy, which is the same album that has the song by Elvis Costello called High Fidelity on it. And so, I don't know, it's a really good song and it's very appropriate to the movie and it's a good pun. Um, and, and I don't know if they didn't include it on the soundtrack on purpose because they thought it would be too obvious or what, but it's always struck me as very strange. That's my rant about High Fidelity. It's a real good song and you should listen to it if you haven't already. Carnivorous couch, it happens once a week It swallows us for two hours when we try to sleep It forces us to watch a film about which we then speak Carnivorous couch With Brady and Rob Hi everybody, hi everybody, hi everybody, and welcome to another episode of Carnivorous Couch, a film a week from Two Film Geeks, the spoilerful podcast where this week we've got Rob, me, and Brady Larson, and we're doing High Fidelity. High Fidelity. Yes, the, uh, what is it, 2000 John Cusack film based on the 1995 novel? Uh, yeah, uh, what is it, Nick Horn- Hornsby novel? Uh, the guy who wrote about a boy, I I don't actually know much about him, but I seem to hear consistently good things about his writing. Um, yeah, I, he's a British guy, right? Yeah, I think he's yeah, like a British novelist, uh, kind of a satirical, funny one, but maybe with a little bit of poignance, too. Yeah, I wonder if he wrote it uh, about a record store in Britain or if it was about an American record store like this. One. I have the answer. It, it was controversial, I guess, uh, for fans of the novel that it was moved from England to Chicago. 
Ah. Well, yeah, I suppose that would be the case sometimes for that sort of thing to happen. Sure, but, I, I mean, we're not going to get into it yet, but I'll say I really like that this film is in Chicago, and it has a sense of place to it. Great. Uh, why don't I do plot synopsis? I think you should. Okay, I think we entered the film uh, basically with his girlfriend walking out on him, right? Uh, yeah, his girlfriend, Laura. Laura? Yes, and Laura, yeah, so Laura's walking out on uh, And Rob. I only stipulate because there are a lot of girlfriends in this movie. Ah, yes. Laura, Laura's walking out on Rob, the main character played by John Cusack. Uh, Laura is played by, I think her name oh. is Ibel. Yeah, it looked like Scandinavian or something. Uh, um, yeah, she's been in a lot of stuff. None of it really Scandinavian, though. It's interesting. I mean, but just that, like, IB name. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's what I was thinking, too. And I looked through all the films looking for other Scandinavian-type actresses, actors, but no, no. Um, anyway, uh, I definitely like her in this film. But anyway, let me get on with the plot synopsis. Uh, she is walking out on Rob because uh, we don't know why. And uh, Rob then proceeds to tell us about his top five breakups. Um, and they flash back to each one of them. Um, and basically, after that point in time, um, when he talks about the last one, he says, well, she was just a placeholder. And uh, at this point, the emotional um, the emotional peak, uh, the emotional realization of this breakup has finally gotten to Rob. And he decides that she is his number five. She's cracked the top five. Uh, the the movie is riddled with lists of top fives. Rob owns a record store. He works there with uh, two deadbeat guys he hired for three days a week who just come every day. And, uh, well, shit. <laughs> I guess they're here every day. Um, he kind of lords his superiority over them, but also fits into the same kind of illusorist lifestyle as him. As someone who's worked at a record store for four years, uh, and we were hoping to try and get Chunk Brian Bauer on here, uh, but we couldn't quite flag him down because, yeah, he's very busy just like me doing his own thing. So anyway, um, we got through his top five girlfriends, and then we kind of sink back into his plight with his girlfriend at this point in time as he, um, A, talks to friends, and, you know, his emotional reaction is going out there, and he finally starts telling people, well, Laura left me, so that's what's going on, that's why I'm, I am the way I am right now. Um, we kind of get a feel for his life as a, a dead and nothing, just owning this record store, this and that and the other. You know, it's a fucking dead record store. <laughs> the employees are snobs, uh, very much like uh, Meba. Um, <laughs> and they berate, um, they berate their customers for not buying the right things and so forth and so on. I, I've never actually seen that happen at Amoeba, but uh, there, there's this... At where I worked... It was kind of, uh, yeah, yeah, just go find whatever. Something fell down. Uh, and then at Amoeba, it's very much like, you should listen to this and you should listen to that. And I don't know if there's judgment pass or whatever, but uh, definitely a more active role and therefore probably more prone to judgment being existent. Anyway, um, <laughs> that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the movie. Um, we He now gets to the point where he goes like, I'm going to go back and figure out what's wrong, what happened uh, so he goes back to each of his subsequent girlfriends. I guess the first, she goes, um, uh, you broke up with me. And he goes, oh, you're right. Well, no, no. The first one he calls and he talks to her mom. And she goes, like, she married her first and only boyfriend from third grade. And he's like, actually, I was the first. And she's like, well, no. 
She's only had. He's like, well, for three days I was her. And yeah, this well, is a girl who in high school, like, for a few days, they kissed for a couple hours after school. It wasn't, like, middle school, even. Yeah, it was, uh, yeah. Sixth grade or seventh grade or, I don't know, something, something. More a first kiss than a relationship, really. Anyway, so, uh, then he goes to the next one, and she's like, uh, I wanted to be with you, Rob, like, but I wanted to have sex when you were 16, and you dumped me because of whatever, and... You know, the next boy I dated who slept with her, uh, slept with me, like, I didn't want that either. It wasn't rape, but it wasn't far off. And then, of course, his assholeish reaction is, oh, right, that's another one I don't have to worry about because I dumped her. And then so he goes on to the third, um, who they, I guess they got together um, because they had both just recently been dumped. And then she eventually dumps him for someone else. And she's not doing too good because I guess she's very sick and she's on medication and blah, blah, blah. And it's just kind of like, let's rekindle the old flame. And he's like, no, no, I should go because that would be more horrible than I'm willing to be. Because uh, the, the the film actually does paint this guy as a kind of an asshole, but uh, sympathetically so. It's not it's not like he's he doesn't have he's not unredeemable. So anyway, uh, going on to the next one, which is uh the kind of out-of-this-world crazy artist girl who you're just like, oh, my God, she's so amazing uh, when you're with her. But then when he goes back to it, um, you know, he kind of realizes that, you know, she's kind of just pretentious and and she's got her thing and she's really good at seeming amazing and she puts that off. Yeah, she never listens. It's around this time that he then goes to a um, club with the... Did I, did I get all the girlfriends? I think one, two, three, four. Yeah, that's four. And then his current breakup was five. Uh, he goes to a club and he sees this girl singing uh, Peter Frampton's, uh, what song is that? Baby, I Love Your Way. Yeah, Ooh, Baby, I Love Your Ways, And they both hate it. He's like, I hate this song, but not when she's singing it. Anyway, he ends up sleeping with her, uh, played by Lisa Bonet, who is pretty fucking hot. Um, and... Uh, so that happens. It's about this time that he finds out his girlfriend hasn't, well, I guess that's just after he finds out his currently ex-girlfriend, but, uh, he wants her back sort of thing, has not slept with the new guy, Ray. Who's Ray, Brady? He's played by Tim Robbins. He's kind of a douchey Yeah, douche Ray, Ian. Yeah, his Ray, name's Ian. Ian. Uh, Ian Raymond something. Yeah, so I'm all kind of out of sequence here, but you know what? This film is kind of out of sequence. It jumps back and forth between the past, the future, the present. We actually get cuts of John Cusack to total non-sequiturious backgrounds. Um, we get cuts back to earlier in the relationship. Uh, it's kind of very much like how you think of non-linear time when you're going through a breakup. You well, know? it's it's the Annie Hall model. Yeah. Uh, yeah, sifting through uh, breakups and whatnot. So. Right, or just sifting through a past relationship. Like, you get these twinges like you're very affected now and then you're thinking about the past and then you're thinking about how horrible you feel right now and all that kind of stuff so my plot synopsis being out of order is totally apropos anyway um at this point in time uh his ex-girlfriend most recent ex-girlfriend laura's dad dies and uh, he goes to the funeral and they end up getting back together just because she can't. She can't take it. She can't take the breakup plus her dad dying plus everything. So uh, they get back together. She forces him into being successful, which was her main problem with him in the first place. The main reason that they were breaking up, despite the fact that he's an asshole and he slept with another woman while she was pregnant. He didn't know she was pregnant. Then borrowed money from her. And then the fourth thing was bad. Was 
Do you remember Brady? Ooh, uh, okay, repeat those first three again. He slept with another girl while he while she was pregnant. He borrowed a vast sum of money, four thousand dollars from her, and oh, and he said that he was basically playing the field. Right, but she tricked him into that. Yeah, uh, or that's his justification. At any rate, uh, after the funeral, she moves her stuff back in right away. She kind of forces him to move forward with his life. He decides that it's okay uh, to move forward with his life and to make a symbolic commitment to her because of the fact that um, what he'd been chasing all this time was a fantasy and that in this case, um, the fantasy wasn't real and that she was and that he liked the fact that she was real, kind of. We'll probably get to that later when we talk about what it's all about. Uh, and then they uh, they live not necessarily happily ever after, but, but uh, we end on a high note. Yes, we, on, we end on a high note with his record release party being a success, and we can believe that either he slips back into his old uh, horrible mentality or that he finally does move on and become uh, what she wants him to become in order to be content with his existence and her existence with him. Mm-hmm. I think that was pretty good. Uh, yeah, no, I think you did nicely, especially for uh, a plot that, as you say, is not not necessarily completely linear. Yeah, I kept it under 10 minutes. Sweet. Go, Rob. Uh, let's go on to how do we like it, right? Yep. One, two, three. <laughs> Brady, how did you like this movie? You know, uh, this is a good sign for the movie. I like this movie quite a bit, and I had it pegged for the B plus A minus, which is a hybrid grade. Uh, and other hybrid grades have followed, but me and Ross, we invented this Bay Planus years ago because a lot of films fly into this model, fit into this mold where they're excellent, but maybe they have some flaws. Maybe they're not aesthetically perfect. And so you want to compliment them a little bit. But the more I think about it, this movie, uh, when I reflect on it, has a really nice aftertaste. I mean, it's, you know, it's tinged with music and it does help that I am a list maker myself. I'm a record collector myself because it's, you know, it's got this character who is a, an avid, rabid, intense appreciator of things, a cataloger of things, a list maker and a music lover. So it incorporates a lot of elements that are probably common to guys like Robin, myself, who are critics, maybe uh, just uh, essentially enthusiasts of any given subject matter. And so, but it uses that and turns it on to relationships. And so, you know, I'm not going to say it's a perfect movie. Um, and I'm still kind of wrestling with how much of an asshole his character really is. But at the end of it, it does kind of wrap up that he needs to change. So I think it lands that on the right side. And yeah, I, I think it's really funny and often very wise. And any issues I have are, might be down to aesthetics. But you know what? It's a pretty good looking movie, too. So I, that might be out of line. So I'm going to give it the A minus. It's it's really nice. It's uh it's so easy to watch. So 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 easy to watch. Definitely, definitely. And it, it is like a hour and forty five minute movie. I feel like it could have benefited from being an hour and a half. But uh, all the same, it still holds its hour and forty five minutes very strongly. And it um I think the most interesting thing about this movie is that the cinematography isn't particularly interesting. It's very canned. It's very stereotypical. However, it works. It works perfectly. Uh, we get these cuts in between different scenes. You know, when he wants, in, instead of voiceover monologue, it's basically just cut to him in this scene that kind of is apropos of nothing. And um, 
he just explains his point or explains uh, the scenario as it were at this point in time. Yeah. Oh, Rob, can I cut in? I'll say one thing that occasionally didn't work, even though a lot of them did. Occasionally, that whole break the fourth wall, address the audience, Ferris Bueller thing. There were some of those that didn't work as well for me, which I think was more down to Cusack than anything else. He didn't like always sell that kind of address the audience. Here's my soliloquy for the scene you just saw moment. Uh, but he does nail a lot of them. So on the whole, I think it wins on that, but some of them didn't work. Yeah, the acting's not bad. The acting's not great. The acting is is perfectly, um, I think, suited to the writing, which is uh, very dry, very um, self-explanatory, and very self-investigating, um, as it were. And, and that's kind of the point of the movie is uh, to dis- decide where you've been, look back upon where you've been, and actually come to a revelation, which I feel like in life we're not encouraged to do. So it, uh, it's an interesting motif for the movie to do that. Um, my feeling on this movie, and you know I'm a much harsher critic than Brady as far as letter grades go, is that it's a very, very, very solid B. Um, like I said, the cinematography doesn't add a whole lot to it. The acting is perfect for what it is. Um, it doesn't go way beyond... Um, the the realm of anything it doesn't it doesn't pull you in in a way that's extraordinary it's just a very you know it's on some some levels inspirational and some levels just a movie to watch um i think we all can feel the plight of the protagonist and it's nice to have a protagonist who's not necessarily a good guy he's not necessarily a bad guy he's flawed he's but he's not an anti-hero he's just somebody who voices kind of the emotional younger self of me particularly like I felt exactly like I saw this movie first time maybe when I was 22 so that would have been uh uh 2004 and actually I might have seen it when it came out and then seen it again in 2006 2006 and um yeah I mean when I saw it back then, I was like, yeah, fuck that. What? I, he didn't really do anything wrong and blah, blah, blah. Well, okay, there's this couple things he did wrong, but then the relationship moved on past that, so we have to determine that this has been dealt with in uh, a moot point, or if we're going to try, we got to try, because he slept with another girl, and it's like, well, if the relationship continues on past that, it's not a media breakup, then we're working. We're working, right? Um, at any rate, so back then, I was very on his side and very into the being outraged. Uh, now when I watch it, I go like, dude, fucking man up emotionally. Stop being a, like a little fucking baby and uh, do what needs to be done if you want this. Uh, and he doesn't. And he's rewarded for it by the fact that she can't man up and be uh, as emotional as she would like to be because her father dying on top of this is just too much. Um Anyway, I guess... But then he mends up after that. He gets a second chance. A lucky one. Right. He gets a lucky one. Um, I mean, this doesn't really have anything to do with whether or not I like the movie. It just has to do with my relationship with this movie over time. I think probably back then I would have given it a B plus, but now I'm giving it a, a, a solid B, which is quite high praise for me, I think. It is, that is funny because it's, uh, it's climbing mine. The first time I saw it, I think I was B plus as well. Uh, but I've come to appreciate... Like, certain things, certain kinds of movies, I think you need to appreciate details that might be described as more superficial. Like, in terms of, like, coherence, its message, like, I like it, but it's not, like, oh, like, it's not mind-blowing, a guy figuring out his commitment issues. 
This movie for me is in the liner notes. It's about the sharpness and funniness of the script and how it's and it's little jokes about music. That stuff's perfect. And it comments on the Cusack character. And I think that is a thousand times more interesting than the journey of whether or not he learns to commit to one woman. So that's the funny thing. It's almost like the, the appetizer is better than the main course in the case of this movie. Yeah, and so I think that uh, that wraps up how we liked it. Let's move on to our next segment, which is uh, what's our about? Well, let's take a little quick break and do like understudy first, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, we just kicked off. What's it all about? Let's do what's it all about. All right, let's do that first, and then we'll come back and do understudy. Uh, what's it all about? Well, I got a clip I want to show you, which is what I think that this film is all about, summed up in a, a quick monologue. Hi. Drinking lunch on a school day. That's a nice surprise. Are you nervous about tomorrow night? Not really, no. Well, um, are you going to talk to me or shall I get my paper out? No, no, I'm going to talk to you. Right. What are you going to talk to me about? Um, I'm going to talk to you about whether or not you want to get married to me. <laughs> I'm, I'm serious. Yes, I know. Thanks, so. <laughs> I'm sorry. Two days ago, you were making tapes for that girl from the reader. Yeah. Well, forgive me if I don't think of you as the world's safest bet. Would you marry me if I was? <laughs> what brought all this on? I don't know. I'm just sick of thinking about it all the time. About what? This stuff. Love and settling down and marriage, you know. I want to think about something else. I changed my mind. That's the most romantic thing I've ever heard. I do. I will. Just shut up, please. I'm just trying to explain, okay? That other girl or other women, whatever. I mean, I was thinking that they're just fantasies. You know? And they always seem really great because there's never any problems. And if there are, they're cute problems like you know, we bought each other the same Christmas present, or she wants to go see a movie that I've already seen, you know? And then I come home, and you and I have real problems, and you don't even want to see the movie I want to see, period. And there's no lingerie, and... I have lingerie. Oh, yes, you do. You have great lingerie, but you also have the cotton underwear that's been washed a thousand times, and it's hanging on the thing, and... And they have it, too. It's just I don't have to see it because it's not in the fantasy. Do you understand? I'm tired of the fantasy because it doesn't really exist and there are never really any surprises and it never really delivers delivers right and I'm tired of it and I'm tired of everything else for that matter but I don't ever seem to get tired of you so I think I know what you mean but were you really expecting me to say yes? I don't know. I didn't think about it really. I thought asking was the important part. Well, you've asked. 
Thank you. And scene. And right there, that motherfucking part is the part that brings me back to being a... Tw- <laughs> Where the fuck would it... I'm turning that... A 22-year-old um, who... <laughs> like, right there, it's just like, I'm not going to say yes or no. Thanks for asking. And uh, Brady brought up that she married very much, may have said yes or no, uh, and it's just off camera or whatever, and we never know. Um, okay, fine, fair point, but it still fucking irks the 22-year-old in me. But anyway, that's the part I think that it's about. It's about him going through this process, uh, the breakup uh, just being one too many breakups, and that he realizes that he has to change himself and that he has to uh, stop searching for the fantasy because the fantasy never pays off and it just ends in another breakup. So that that's what I think. Brady? Yeah, no, you're right. It's In terms of its main plot, that plot of uh, beginning with uh, – their bookends, really. Beginning with Laura breaking up with him and ending with their impending marriage. It's about uh, the main plot, them finally getting together and him stopping the run from himself. And in that way, I think that scene is perfect for what Rob's saying. It's the moment when John Cusack says, you know what, it's, it's not any of these things I throw my problems onto. It, it's really me. Like, I'm just I'm exhausted trying to outsmart myself and trying to, like, outsmart these women and come up, you know, Seinfeld-like with reasons to not be with these women even though a lot of them are so perfect and really good and here's one who i know works for me and it's time and so that's and that's really sweet and it's nicely played and even watching it back like this this is a well-acted movie like i I don't want to undersell the acting here it's very nice yeah i mean i said the acting was fine uh i guess when i say that I, i think that this movie is not a vehicle for like incredibly emotional acting or incredibly like subtle acting it's it's a movie for look i'm this person i'm being perfectly honest about who this person is and i'm not faking it and i don't think i don't think either john cusack or her are stretching beyond much of possibly who they were at the time but but that said to me what the movie is really about is in in the liner notes really it's about a certain type of person it's a perfect portrait of a certain kind the collector the fan the the music enthusiast, the music snob. Well, it's, it's about the person who's never satisfied with what they have and always want more. Right, but it but it's also about that kind of person, the characters that are in this world. It's it's really about its world, this world of music and vinyl and you know, <laughs> record store clerks that yell at their customers for picking shitty record choices and people who make lists. It it's about. Uh, it's about his personality, but the plot that we hang it on is his, uh, you know, eventual decision to commit. Here's to the list makers, the masters of this universe of just desperate tokens being tossed across the void, being gobbled up by hungry, pie-shaped, yellow, chomping men, running from ghosts. And following them when necessary. Mm-hmm. Something like that? Is that what you're saying this movie is about? Yeah, it's something about like that. It's about Pac-Man? Yeah, it's, it's about, yeah, it's about the person who, who thinks of everything also like, you know, uh, think about Sideways, actually. It reminds me of that, too. You've got this guy. You know, I was thinking about that, that movie the other day, like uh, when the guy <laughs> sleeps with the fat chick and then goes like, I bet you she's two tons of fun. And then. 
you know, she he like walks in upon her trying to get his wallet back or something, and oh yeah, but it, but it's the Giamatti character who has to get the wallet, right? Um, <laughs> no, yeah, but so sideways, you've got this famous scene, the romantic scene on the deck where he's you know trying to connect to this woman who clearly wants him, and he's basically trying to work up the balls to actually put himself out there, and he can only put himself out there by talking about wine, by talking about this passion. So High Fidelity, by the same token, is about people who are into this very niche thing, in this case, vinyl music, and they make lists of it, their favorite songs in this category, that category. But the line it draws, especially with Cusack doing top five lists for his girlfriends, is this is how he sees the world. It's about a guy who sees the world through his art, and that's how he makes sense of things. And it's about him making sense of things. Well, I think there's also a certain amount of uh, when, when he runs away, it's because, like, at this point in time, he's already given the girl his top five list. He's already, like, kind of showed him uh, what he's about. And um, now, now all of a sudden they, they get it. Now they know him. And now he needs to move on to somebody who doesn't know him because he doesn't like being known. He doesn't like being a known quality, a judge quantity. Uh, you know, he... His biggest problem with, with uh, the Laura character is that she's like, you haven't changed since I've known you. Right? So basically she's right. like, I know you now. Like, I know you, asshole. <laughs> basically. And um, you haven't changed, and you're not going to change. And he's like, well, shit, I, I, I better get on to somebody who doesn't know me because she's figured me out, and this is scary, the fact that uh, I'm going to have to put up or shut up or do something or, or change or, or make a commitment or or do something, it's easier to move on to somebody who, who doesn't know you and play the, start the game over. Because, you know, it's like playing uh, Super Mario Brothers, the first one, right? Mm -hmm. I've never played all the way through that game, per mostly because I didn't have a Nintendo when I was young enough to kind of have the dexterity to figure out the new things. But I did play the first, like, three, four worlds. And same with Super Mario 3, actually. But I'm, I'm very comfortable with those first three, four worlds. And I, I turn the thing on and I play those first three, four worlds, but I never sit down and play the whole game. Right? Right. I'd rather move on to another game and get really good at the first three or four levels than play the entire game because then now I have to change and know things. <laughs> things get progressively yeah. more difficult. Well, yeah, things get progressively more difficult. Yeah, I, I guess that furthers the analogy better than what I was saying. But you know what I'm saying. No, no, that's, yeah, that is what you're saying. Yeah. Because, so. man, those level 8s in Mario Brothers, insane. Okay, is that the one where there's Giant World? Is that Giant World? Uh, that's Super Mario 3 has yeah, Giant Yeah, Super Mario World. 3. And I think that, I want to say that's level 5. Wait, you actually world got five. to level 8 in Mario 1? The first one? World 8 is like the plant world, and it's hell. Wait, you, <laughs> you, hell. you've actually gotten that far in that game? I've never seen you play that Well, I mean, I guess I didn't know you when that was the big thing. Yeah, yeah. No, no, I, I mean, I own Super Mario 3, so I beat Super Mario 3. It's a hard beat. That's one of the tough ones. Oh, I beat that one, too. But Super Mario 3, you get to at least save. Well, no, only in the SNES Redux you get to save, huh? Well, I didn't have it for SNES. It was a Nintendo game. But you don't get to save in the Nintendo game. You have to play it all the way through. Uh, Yeah, I think that's yeah, right. Yeah, it wasn't like Zelda. It doesn't have the battery in it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All one go through. Yeah. But the Super Mario All-Stars, which included that, you could save. I think. Anywho, this is all very much like High Fidelity. Quite right. Uh, I think we've covered what it's all about, but there's a, a couple more things I want to get into. But now we'll go to understudies? Yeah, now's the time. All right. We're so sorry we couldn't get the actors 
to do the scene from this screenplay but we've got two understudies and to be honest they're probably more famous anyway so try to catch the actors try to guess the movies tweet us at c-a-r-n-y couch this game called understudy is happening 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 right now we have a look at him sitting there with his hoopers scraping away at that book well, what's the matter with that? Have you no no natural? Have you no natural resources of your own? Have they even robbed you of that? You can learn from books. Can you get? Can you now? Ah, sheep's head. You've learned more by getting out there and living. Out where? Uh, any old where. Um, but not our little Richard. Oh no. When you're not thumping them pagan skins, you're tormenting your eyes wide with that rubbish. Books are good. Parading is better. Parading. That's it. Parading the streets, traveling your coat, bowling along, living. Well, I am living, aren't I? You're living, are you? Well, that was the last time you gave a girl a pink-edged daisy. When did you last embarrass a Sheila Wind in your cool, appraising stare? Eh, you're a bit old for that sort, sort of chat, aren't you? At least I've got a backlog of memories, but what you've got is that book. Ah, stop picking on me. You're as bad as the rest of them. And so you're man after all. What's that mean? Did you think I haven't noticed? Do you think I wasn't aware of the drift? Oh, you poor, unfortunate scuff. They've driven you into a books by their cruel and natural treatment, exploiting your good nature. Oh, I don't know. And that's never... That's... And that lot's never happier when they're jeering at you. Sorry. And that lot's never happier than when they're jeering at you. And where would they be without the steady support of your drumbeat? I'd like to know. Yeah, that's right. And where's it all come to in the end? Yeah, what's in it for me? A book. Yeah, a blooming book. He throws the book down. When could you be out there betraying a rich American widow or sipping a palm and a wine in Tahiti before you're too old like me, a fine, neat, trim lad, the class of you shouldn't be helping himself to life's goodies before the sands run out? Being an old-age pensioner's a terrible drag on a man, and every second you waste is bringing you nearer the Friday queue at the post office. Yeah, funny, really, because I'd never thought of it but being middle-aged. An old takes up most of your time, doesn't it? You're only right. I'm not wrong. Where are you off to? Oh, I'm going parading before it's too late. That was uncertain. Tweet us your answer at C-A-R-N-Y couch. Hey everybody, we're back from a spirited round of understudy. Most. And... Uh, I got something to say. Okay, I want to talk about that editing bit. Yeah? Oh, yeah, you got something to say about editing? Let's well, hear it. you know how it just, like, cuts to wherever, and it, it very much mirrors, like, when you think back upon a relationship, right? Which is misleading for this film, because by the end of it, he's back in the relationship that he left at the beginning. Right. But, um... I mean, it, it is just so visceral. Like, whenever I think back about past relationships, I think about certain moments, and it makes me jump to another moment where, okay, well then, but then after that, she was with her next boyfriend, and then that dude was talking about doing her this way, and blah, 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 blah. 
and you know like th this sort of visceral feeling and and the way that the um uh, whenever we cut to what would normally in a, a typical Hollywood movie, which this is definitely not one of them, um, would just snap to voiceover narration and kind of keep it linear and just have him uh, hang out and be doing something like making a mixtape or like popping tapes in or making a copy of something or blah, blah, blah. Right. And they would have a voiceover. Like Instead, we cut to him actually talking to us the fourth wall, which he said works most of the time, but uh, there were certain times when you're just like, you sack, you just took me out of it. But, um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I, th I think that sort of nonlinear and that sort of jumping away from it into other things apropos of nothing, like, um, those scenes are, are, they're not real scenes. Like, it's not like he's walking, like, that day or some previous day he happened to walk down that garden path. I think it's more like, in his mind, he's in a garden path, like, you know, isolating himself from his real life and just having this inner narration. Right, which narrative Which I inserts. do all the fucking time. So, I mean, that that was kind of poignant for me in a way that was uh, pleasurable, I guess, or, or vindicating. Okay. Well, yeah, no, I mean, yeah, I I like those scenes. I think they work. I like the non uh, the nonlinear structure as well. I, I think it works for the movie. I don't think it has quite the, like, uh, overpowering poetic grace of Annie Hall. I don't think it's as coherently thought through as a directorial achievement where that's concerned. No, I, I just feel like they had these segments that they were going to shoot with him. I mean, it feels like this, this film was made on a pretty low budget. It's hard to tell. I mean, it looks nice because Chicago looks nice. I don't, like, it grows $57 million, which is pretty good. Right, yeah. Million, 50, John Cusack like was still a pretty big star yeah, at that yeah, point. Yeah. And also, it did very well in its opening thing. But, I mean, it didn't look very expensive. There weren't really any stunts. Everything seemed to be pretty much shot on location. Oh, yeah. Uh, the sound design was actually really good. And that scene that we listened to earlier, um, I was pretty – like I was listening to the sound as I was watching it. And I was going like, I, that's actually pretty good uh, rummagey, rummagey, rummagey stuff going on in the background. And, yeah. Oh, cool. Well, I'm glad you noticed. Well, it helps that I was listening to the thing through the speaker into the microphone into the, my headphones. So I was just making sure it was picking up. Right. But right. I'll probably just mix that shit in there afterwards anyway. But, you know, it means a lot more when you're just listening and not watching. Yeah, no, I, I would agree. So anyway, did, did you have any particular points you wanted to bring up about the way it was put together? Uh, about how it was put together? No, I, I stand by what I said. Like, I, I did say that one of my criticisms was that not every cutaway scene of him narrating uh, works entirely, but mainly due to Cusack, who... I think it's really good in this, but like I, I don't think he's the most phenomenal actor ever. He does what he does no, very I don't think well. That, I don't think that the part led, you know, it. It's not the kind of movie where like you can give a performance like Kate Blanchett and. Uh, oh um, no, no! I mean, it's Blue it's Jasmine tuned or anything to what like that, for. or or even Woody Allen or um, is it Diane Keaton in any hall? Who am I thinking of? Oh yeah, well Woody Allen and Diane Keaton in any hall. Yeah, okay, that's right. Great. Uh, yeah, I mean like. The, the movie just isn't written in such a way that the actor could possibly reach that that level of like, oh my god, they're amazing. You know, it's just they're they're kind of just playing up uh, what they're identified as in Hollywood and et cetera, right? Right. Uh, yeah. No, and it totally works. Uh, yeah. I, you know, so what I was saying about that was, I don't think this movie has as much. It, it probably could have used a stronger visual sense, as you say. 
and maybe more of uh, more coherence in knitting the themes together. But I, I think it does it in a smart way and a funny way. And overall, it works. Like I'm, I'm basically saying that this thing, I don't consider it poetic, but I consider it very smart and very funny. And that, and that's a big compliment. What did you think about the scene where um, Ian Ray comes to confront him in his record store? <laughs> that's a funny scene. It's it's funny. Well, I mean, like they 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 do this one off thing, which they don't do anywhere else in the film, which makes it kind of, it makes it kind of wonky if you if you compare it to everything else, but it also kind of fits with. You know, the sort of uh, fourth wall breaking, uh, out of context, out of location shots. But, you know, they do this thing, for those of you who haven't seen the movie, although you should because we're spoiling the whole thing for you in the entirety of this podcast. Um, <laughs> as I said at the beginning, uh, I said spoiler full this time, right? Sometimes I forget. I think I said it this time. Um, <laughs> basically, Ray comes in and says all this stuff. is like, so why don't you stop uh, bothering? And it, we have flashes of him going like, get the fuck out of my store, you Puccini stinking fuck, you know. And then it cuts to him going like, no, that's not okay. And then uh, he just runs at him. And then there's that super meek, quiet dick grabbing a phone and slamming his teeth out and then throwing an air conditioner on top of his head. Um, but did you think that that... Th I felt like that scene was starkly out of place and it was something that the screenwriter wrote one night while stoned or maybe it was in the book and the the book author wrote it stoned one night uh no actually i i don't find it out of place because this movie is plays with time structure and plays with reality especially with its fourth wall breaking narration device so much that like random cutaways and asides are are this movie's bread and butter so you know i, I didn't find it tonally inconsistent and i thought it was a funny scene it was funny. All right, fine, fine, fine. Um, well, should we take another break? Uh, see if we can get uh, uh, Maddie to do plot lines with us. If not, uh, we'll do Metacritical. Yeah. All right, uh, let's go do that. Okay. And after One or we're the done, other. we'll be back with with uh, whatever final thoughts we got to say and a little debate about next week. Okay. So. Revolves around Frank, an American tourist visiting Italy to mend a broken heart. Elise is an extraordinary Brady? woman. Yeah. Roman holiday? No. Uh, extraordinary woman who deliberately crosses his path. Can I hear it again? Revolves around Frank, an American tourist visiting Italy to mend a broken heart. Elise is an extraordinary woman who deliberately crosses his path. The odd couple? Rob? Yeah? The no. odd couple? No. All right, I have no idea then. All right. The Tourist from 2010. Oh, yeah, there was a oh, billboard of that up for a very long the time. The billboard. Yep, that's why I thought of it. Okay. Oh, what are we playing to? Four? Brady? Uh, Sure, four. Right. When a machine that allows therapists to enter their patients' dreams is stolen, all hell breaks loose. Only a young female therapist can stop it. Brady? Yeah. Uh, strange Days? No. Should I reread it? No, I, I got it all in my brain. 
I don't know. Paprika from 2006. Oh, oh is that what that's about? Yeah. Could never quite figure that movie out. <laughs> okay. Maybe we should play to one. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. I'm throwing you guys curveballs here. No, 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 that's good. That's We need more of that. An unemployed actor with a reputation for being difficult. Brady. Tootsie. Yeah. Did yes. you peek? I love that movie. No, no, I just... Difficult unemployed actor. Sounded close enough. Okay. <laughs> no, that one was worth four points because <laughs> Tootsie is that awesome. <laughs> there are four Tootsies on that person's foot. <laughs> Whatever Not only the four? Other one. Oh, no. <laughs> Dude, she gave up her toe. <laughs> okay, ready? Yeah. A hapless young Viking who aspires to hunt Brady. dragons. Yeah. How <laughs> to train your dragon. <laughs> yeah. He's too fast. <laughs> Most From Vikings 2010. aren't hapless, so it's, it's rare to find a hapless one. Yes, there's not that many hapless. And I, I also uh, kind of love that movie. I definitely have seen it. It's a good movie. It's good. It's got a really good score. It's satellite. 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 Brady. Satellite. Yes. Thank you. I needed that. Okay. Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm ready. I'm, I'm, I'm totally ready. Oh, okay. yeah. So that's two for Brady. Okay. Um, follows the lives of eight very different couples in dealing with their love lives in various loosely and interrelated tales all set during a frantic month before Christmas in London, England. Brady. That was almost simultaneous. I don't know what to do. Yeah, make a judgment call. Um, I'm going to give it to Rob because you're going to win, Brady. Okay, Rob. Good. You know, I was going to say something that's not right. So now I'm going to say love actually. From 2003. Yeah. That's right. I was about to say shortcuts. <laughs> <laughs> but then after I had that extra time to think about it. Yes, two to one. I am coming back from nothing. No. Give me your crown, yellow king. Oh, okay. Um, An abortion clinic worker with a special heritage is called upon to save the existence of humanity from being negated by two renegade angels. Brady. Yeah. Oh, dogma. Yep. damn it. I should just ring in and give myself like three seconds. So that puts the score at Brady 3, Rob 1. I think we know how this is going to go. Womp oh, yeah. Womp. Oh, and that's from 1999. Jump, jump. Sorry, I forgot. To from say. 1999. Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous with Robin Leach. Ooh, that'd be a good voice to do on Understudy. Uh, yeah. He could probably do a good uh, Robin Leach, Brady. Yeah, I mean, that's that's one of those really kind of... Check out this ones. five bathtub bathroom. What does he sound like? Australian or something? Like Robin Leach. I guess yeah, he's British. very British. Like he's really weirdly he's British. Very British with a very much announced voice, and he—it almost sounds like he's like oh, hosting the Derby. Leach. Whenever he's talking about anything, it's just like, um, it's like, and uh, Daddy's new pair of shoes is coming up behind the other person i cannot possibly talk fast enough in order to announce the race but uh donkey lips is coming up uh right behind uh Nick's new shoes and this bathroom over here was fabulous i used it at the break anyway another break so i can use that fabulous bathroom with 
three bathtubs made out of solid gold, and three more made out of solid tile, and one more made out of a rusty steel bucket. That's for hamsters. <laughs> Lifestyles of the rich and destitute with Robin Leach. <laughs> a man who has set up the perfect lifestyle for himself makes the mistake of marrying while drunk, and his fantasies of murder are used against him. Brady? Mm -hmm. The talented Mr. Ripley? Nope. This is actually a pretty bad synopsis for this movie. Sorry, guys. Yeah. Because I think I know what it is, and I'm just trying to put my finger Can I on give it. you a hint? No. Okay. No, Rob doesn't know. No, let me let me do it, and let me give you a hint, okay? A man who has set up the perfect lifestyle for himself makes the mistake of marrying while drunk, and his fantasies of murder are used against him. He He makes a comic. I don't know how they didn't include that in the synopsis. He's a comic book writer, or a comic, like mm, a cartoon Rob, strip writer. Rob Forfeits. Rob Forfeits. All right. It's How to Murder Your Wife, starring Jack Lemmon from 1965, which is a really great movie. Oh, never heard of it. Oh, yeah, I've never heard of it. Really? I've, I've never heard of it. <laughs> oh. Oh, he's a, he's a, he's a, he makes a comic strip, and he, like, kind of does all the stuff that's in the comic strip, and he makes, he, like, it's like an action man kind of a comic strip, but then he marries this Italian lady, and then it turns into sort of like a like a blondie sort of comic strip, and he doesn't like it, and so he decides to like kill off the wife in the comic strip, and he like goes through the motions of doing all of it because that's how he like comes up with his ideas and how it'll look and stuff like that. So he like pretend murders his wife, and then she freaks out and runs away, and so then everybody thinks that she actually got murdered by him oh no oh no all right so it's brady three rob one okay um an alien is on the run in america to get his kicks it kills anything that gets in its way and uses the body as a new hiding place this alien has a goal in life power hotly pursued by another alien who's borrowed the body of a dead fbi agent lots of innocent people die in the chase rob yeah. The X Files. I want to believe. <laughs> no. This is too obscure. I'm real sorry. I shouldn't have done this one. Brady. Yeah. The man who fell to Earth. Nope. Oh, I should do that one one time. Good idea. Not right now. Not right now. Um. No. It's actually the right now. <laughs> it's the Rob. <laughs> the man who fell to Earth. It's the hidden. From 1987, which is like a really weird, obscure, dumb movie. Just pick a blockbuster from sometime between when you were born and now. It doesn't have to be a blockbuster. I like picking just, weird, obscure Just pick movies. something. All right. Carmen Lowell is working on the backstage of a play in Yale when the lead actress and friend Julia invites her to travel to Vermont with her to work in a play with professional cast she decides to stay with her friends and her pregnant mother. However, she finds that Lena Caligaris will travel to a course of drawing. Bridget Vreeland is in existential crisis, missing her mother, and decides to travel to an archaeological dig in Turkey. Tibby Tomko Rollins is working 
in their rental and still editing her documentary. Therefore, Carmen accepts the invitation and travels to Vermont. She has a crush on the lead actor, Ian, who convinces her to participate in an audition and is invited by the director, Bill Kerr, to perform the lead female role. Later, she finds the truth about the friendship of Julia. The broken-hearted Lena finds that Costas has just married and she dates the model of her class. Bridget finds letters addressed to her from her grandmother that her father has hidden, and she decides to visit her grandma, disclosing a secret about her mother. Brady. Rob. Sister of the, tra- of yeah. the Traveling Pants? Yes, Brady, you win. Uh, Rob, Rob's answer was going to be, never heard of this movie. <laughs> The weird thing is I've technically seen this movie and it took like forever for me to I think just the fact that a character was named Bridget that's like all I went on. <laughs> all right, sorry for the worst the worst one ever. Ta-da! Back with the show. Hi everybody, everybody, everybody. So that was an excellent version of plot lines. Let's go ahead and uh do our little uh thingy. Uh what are we we're wrapping up? Well, yeah, I mean, do we have anything more to say in terms of scenes? I don't, do you? Um, wait, was I going to – I was going to say one thing. Oh, yeah, you know what? I, I was just going to comment on the ending. It's This isn't a film of, like, huge thematic ideas. But what I liked was, since this is a movie about a list maker, I like their playing with him transitioning from list making – to mixtape making, and I think he explains it really nicely at the end that the list making is a way of him making sense of his own insular little world. He ranks breakups. He ranks literally everything he comes across, which I understand because I do that as well. And then the mixtape idea is more something he makes for someone else. So it's a nice representation within the world of a music snob for going from self-centric thinking into, you know, thinking about what someone else would like. He says, you know, when you make a mixtape, you want it to flow, but you're also thinking of what the person you make it for would want to hear. You're using somebody else's poetry to express your own emotions, which is a tricky thing, is I think how he puts it. Well, well of course, that's what's in a mixtape, but, but also the method behind it versus a list. A list is something you make for yourself to express your own opinion about a thing. A mixtape is something you make to give to someone else. And so since the movie is about him moving from kind of a scared, self-centric way of thinking to uh, committing and thinking of another person as a person, because it's also about him not thinking of women as people, essentially. Like he thinks of them as these cut out fantasy uh, whatevers. Well put. Yeah, I just thought I thought it was a nice nimble metaphor that fit with the environment and the character that expressed his growth. So that that was cool, I thought. Yeah, man, I think that works. Uh, let's go ahead and uh, say what we're doing next week. Okay. So long ago, no, well, not that long ago, but relatively long ago in the terms of shows and the fact of how long you've been listening and how long you have to listen for each show, uh, we said we were going to do They Might Be Giants, but we couldn't find the film, so we did something else, and I can't remember what we did instead, but we did something. Um, so, in this case, uh, we have found They Might Be Giants uh, due to the efforts of Grando Calrissian, and we're going to watch it next week with uh, me and Madeline and Brady and Tess, possibly Grando if he's not too tired. So, uh, look forward to that, and uh, I think that's the end of this show. All right, that's the end. Three, two, one, theme song. <laughs> 
Carnivorous couch, shit happens once a week. It swallows us for two hours when we try to sleep. It forces us to watch a film about which we then speak. Carnivorous couch with Brady and Rob. Here's to the list makers.